Welcome to State of Health Podcast. This is Jmart. On this podcast, I want to share my knowledge and experience as a personal trainer with helping clients reach their goals. And I want to share personal stories from self-experimenting with physical training, nutrition, and other lifestyle factors. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of State of Health with me, Jmart, your host. This episode is a little bit different because I don't have a guest today. It's just me talking into the microphone to you. And I'll be talking about something that I think is very important to me. Hopefully it'll be important to you. And this is the idea of a physical retirement plan. What is a physical retirement plan? Well, I think a lot of people know what a financial retirement plan is, right? As you're working through your early years, you're supposed to take a little bit of money and save it into you know, whatever your savings account, RRSP, whatever, and build up a sum that you can rely on as an elderly person when you can no longer, you know, let's say earn the same amount of money as you were younger. At least you have this amount of money that you've saved up to help take care of you in your later years. I think we can apply the same concept to our physical health and maybe talk about what a physical retirement plan would look like. And so maybe the question we could start with is what is the physical capacity that you would like to enjoy as an elderly person? And so, you know, most people would say that they would like to enjoy the same physical capacity as a younger person, right? Why not move without limitations, feel no aches and pains? And I tend to agree. And my answer would be very similar. I would like to have a body with the capacity that's been developed by mastering the basics of movement. So then the question becomes, what are the basics of movement? And so I have three categories that I've kind of uh, made up that I think fall into what are the basics or foundations of movement. And, you know, this isn't definitely, there's no right or wrong answer for, for that, for what are the basics of movement. And this isn't my final answer to it. And I'm always looking to change my mind, change my opinion, and um, come up with a better answer to these types of questions. So if anyone has any ideas, please share them with me in the comments or wherever. Get in touch with me and let's discuss this. This is a kind of subject that I love talking about with anybody, doesn't matter who. So let's get a conversation started. And before I answer what my opinion is on what are the basics of movement, maybe I'll just quickly uh, go over... Uh, why my face has a black eye <laughs> for those just listening to this podcast episode you won't see it obviously but you can check out the youtube video i've got a black eye oops um under my left eye and this happened i believe from doing a lot of handstands spending a lot of time being inverted uh for the longest time i'd been wanting to learn how to handstand and but i was not spending a lot of time actually training it and most recently, about beginning of January, I kind of had a bit of a mindset shift. I had a mindset shift, then decided I was going to spend a lot of time inverted practicing, trying to learn this skill. And uh, I've been on average spending about maybe five to 10 minutes per day inverted, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, I guess, a lot more than what I used to do. And so just randomly one day, I felt some pressure behind my left eye and it was a little bit uncomfortable and then the next day I woke up with the black eye under my eye and so with the bruise under my eye and so 
I kind of made the connection it must be from handstanding because I remember coming across some other people who had been training handstands and had had some you know, small blood vessels or capillaries burst near their eye. I guess it's just not used to all the volume of blood that pools from being inverted and some of them burst and eventually found a way to come to the surface and be visible through that bruise. <laughs> and so it doesn't feel painful anymore, but uh, just wanted to address that in case people are wondering, uh, did you get into a fight, John, J-Mart? What, what's going on? Why, why do you have a black eye? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, from handstanding, no big deal. For, fortunately, I did not have to get into a fight to earn this one. <laughs> Anyways, back, to, sorry for the uh, digression there, a little bit of a tangent, but back to the question, you know, uh, what physical capacity would I like to enjoy as an elderly person? Well, something that is the physical capacity that gets developed from mastering basics of movement. And so what are the basics of movement? Number one category of basics of movement, I believe, is breathing. Number two is moving the spine. And number three is movements that are full body movements focused on the joints with the greatest range of motion, which are the hips and shoulders. And these are often categorized as primal or functional movements. I, um, I, I divide them into uh, three categories, the push, pull, and squat, and I further subdivide the squat into a unilateral and bilateral variation. So for the remainder of the podcast, I'll just go into specifically each one and why I think they're important and, and why you should incorporate them into your training plans, into your physical retirement plan, into your training physical retirement plan. <laughs> so. Breathing, breathing is very important, obvious statement, but why? So breathing and heart beating, which are both intimately connected, right? The faster and harder you breathe, the faster your heart beats, the slower and more calmly you breathe, the more slowly and calmly your heart beats as well. And these are constant patterns of movement that occur throughout our entire lives from the moment we're born to when we die. So that hopefully kind of, you probably knew that already, but kind of saying it out loud and thinking about it makes a, kind of puts it into perspective really, you know? And so conscious breathing is this, just this really awesome, powerful way to connect our body to our nervous system. And by optimizing our breathing, we can really have a positive systemic effect on the entire body that is just too hard to achieve with any other single movement pattern. You can't have the same effect that is like, uh, having a positive impact on your body from head to toe with any other movement that you can from with breathing. Now, what kind of breathing specifically? Uh, what the, the breathing that I like to talk about today is called diaphragmatic breathing. So what is that? So diaphragm is this uh, thin skeletal muscle that sits at the base of our chest and it connects or separates, I guess, the abdomen from the chest. And when it contracts, it like flattens down towards the hips and creates this vacuum effect that pulls air into the lungs. And then when you exhale, the diaphragm relaxes and it kind of pushes back up and pushes the air out of the lungs. So for diaphragmatic breathing, we need the contraction of the diaphragm, the expansion of the belly. We do deep inhalation and exhalation. And so by doing deep breathing, what we do is we result in a decrease in respiratory rate. So kind of the number of breaths you take, let's say per minute decreases, could be as low as one minute, one breath per minute. 
that's quite low though. Uh, four breaths per minute is quite a low respiratory rate as well. And often one that um, uh, you can see people use in intervention studies. And so as a result of that decrease in respiratory rate, what happens is we maximize the amount of uh, blood gases. Um, or we have a, not necessarily maximized, but we have an impact on the amount of blood gases. And this is very important. I'll get back to this a little bit later, but so just talking about a little bit more about diaphragmatic breathing. One of the key things about it is it really triggers the body's relaxation responses that can benefit both our physical and mental health. There's no shortage of intervention studies that demonstrate how, um, there's, there could be a significant decrease in negative emotion with the use of, use of breathing exercises. Um, you know, you can think of it as a non-pharmacological, non-pharmacological, uh, emotion enhancement tool that can help reduce anxiety, can help with depression and stress. You know, it's not the only way to deal with these, um, ailments, but it's a very powerful non-pharmacological tool that is, uh, very helpful. It's, it's also been shown to help improve sustained attention. So, you know, you can focus on the task you're working on better on a biochemical level. It decreases uh, levels of cortisol in the blood and cortisol is a inflammatory hormone that's involved in the fight or flight response. It's a very important hormone and we need to have it, but uh, we, we don't need large amounts of it when it's unnecessary. And so by doing breathing exercises, we can decrease cortisol levels, unnecessary amounts of it anyway. Um, and so going a little bit further about breathing, talking a little bit more about breathing, um, one of the aspects of breathing that doesn't get brought up enough, uh, in terms of like a conversation about health is breath holding. Um, I think breath holding is a super powerful tool that, um, can, like I said, can have a huge impact on, on our health, similar to the diaphragmatic breathing exercises. Um, and when it comes to breath holding, uh, a technique for breath hold that often people do, uh, that I kind of, uh, suggest they do, they change up is people will do a breath hold. They take a deep breath in, then they hold. And what I say is actually do a deep breath in and then a, a breath out. So after the exhalation, that's when you do the breath hold. And I think this technique is, is better because what it does is it decreases blood oxygen saturation. So the amount of oxygen in the blood decreases, uh, more significantly by doing a breath hold that way than, uh, by doing it, by doing it after the exhalation, than doing it before the exhalation. And this is, of course, you can feel this by just getting a much stronger feeling of breathlessness if you do a breath hold after exhaling compared to before. And uh, so decreases oxygen levels more, but it also increases carbon dioxide concentration more. And why is this important? Well, that's because increasing carbon dioxide in the blood, what it does is actually it improves the delivery of oxygen from the red blood cells to our muscle tissue. And this, there's a really good video that explains this. You can, I'll link that in the description, but, uh, it's on YouTube. It's called the oxygen dissociation curve explained, uh, bore effect. And it's, uh, this man named Patrick McEwen, uh, who, uh, talks about the oxygen dissociation curve and 
does a really good job of explaining how slow, deep breathing, while it increases the level of carbon dioxide in the blood, that's actually really good because increased carbon dioxide levels promote hemoglobin, which is the oxygen-carrying molecule in our blood, to release the oxygen to our muscle tissue, which is where it needs to go, right? We need our muscles to get the oxygen. If it's not, if it's just in the blood, it's not really doing anything. The blood's the delivery mechanism. It needs to be delivered to the muscle tissue for growth and repair. And so high carbon dioxide levels in the blood will improve that delivery mechanism um, to, uh, of, of uh, oxygen to t muscle tissue. Um, and so that's one aspect of it. And then lowering blood oxygen. Why, why is that good? Well, generally it's, it's not right. Like we need oxygen, like I already said. So lowering blood oxygen is not necessarily the best thing, but that's only if it's like a chronic thing. If it's just acutely you're lowering it, then it's more of a hormetic effect. And it's a, it's a, it's something that the body can respond to. And you can basically by short, if you do it for a short period of time and you lower the blood oxygen saturation by breath holding, what you're doing is you're kind of stimulating the body to generate more red blood cells. And it does so through the release of this hormone called EPO. I believe the kidneys are responsible for releasing EPO. And if you remember um, many years ago when Lance Armstrong was cut, caught for blood, blood, blood doping, EPO was one of the main things that he was using to increase, increase the red blood cells in his body. And so you can have exogenous EPO, which is so outside of the body EPO that you take, but the body makes it itself as well. So you can have endogenous EPO that you stimulate the pr production of through breath holding. And so with uh, more red blood cells, uh, in theory, you carry more oxygen and therefore by carrying more oxygen, you can improve your aerobic capacity. And that's what we're really talking about, right? Like going back to the question is what physical capacity would you like to enjoy as an elderly person? Then one of the answers is you would like to have good aerobic capacity as an older person. And so how could you make that happen? Well, by improving your breathing through breathing exercises and through breath holding. So anyways, that's enough about breathing for now. Let's move on to the second, uh, category of basic movements and this is the movement of the spine so now i'm going to say a very um, obvious statement here but the spine is one of the most important parts of our body <laughs> similar to how breathing is super important now why is it important so the spine of course connects our body our upper body to our lower body so that's that's pretty important <laughs> And so it gives our body its structure and, you know, it help, and it supports us to remain upright, right? So that's good. And with our spine, we can like move about freely and, you know, bend with flexibility. We can bend over, pick up things, reach up and pick things up from the top shelf. So, you know, it's not only is it supporting us, but it's allowing for movement to happen. And then most importantly is the spine protects the spinal cord. What is the spinal cord? Well, it's this column of nerves that connects from the brain to our body, right? Allowing us to control our movement. And so without a spinal cord, you just wouldn't be able to move any part of your body and your organs wouldn't function either. So spinal cord is really important. The spine protects the spinal cord. So it's also very important. <laughs> and so 
you know, hopefully you can see why keeping your spine healthy is a vital, you know, part of making sure you live in, you know, you live a good life, you live a healthy life, you live a life that you can enjoy as an elderly, elderly person. So hopefully people know that the spine is made up of 24 small bones, or they're called the vertebrae. And they're generally subdivided into three categories. The upper part of the spine is called the cervical spine, right? Then the mid part uh, is the thoracic spine, the mid back. And then the lowest part connecting to the pelvis is the lumbar spine or the low back. And, you know, with 24 vertebrae connecting all, all these, your, your spine, there's a lot of joints there and a lot of movement possible right so and for most people if you think about it they actually don't move their spine very much a lot of people are especially for the thoracic part the mid back part they're kind of hunched over rounded back whether it be from sitting too much or looking at the screen uh their computer you know whatever the reason may be a lot of people have locked up upper thoracic spines or mid mid thoracic spines sorry uh that you know experiences very little movement so I think that can be, can have a, have a huge impact on your health, especially as an elderly person, right? We know that back pain is a worldwide leading cause of disability that prevents people from working or doing, you know, everyday activities, enjoying time with your family, whatever it may be. It's a world leading cause of disability. So I think controlling the spine through all these 24 vertebrae, building up back resiliency through movement is a foundational movement pattern that needs to be trained to avoid all of this back pain that prevents us from doing the things we want to do. Anyone who's had a back or neck injury knows how debilitating, you know, it can be. And you know, you don't want that <laughs> later in life. Now, moving your spine is not only besides the resiliency that you can, you know, develop in your, in your back through movement of the spine, through all those 24, you know, joints that you have, you can also, as an added bonus, cultivate better body awareness by moving your spine and having better body awareness is, is good because it'll help you be able to interpret your body's position in space more precisely. And that way you can do more refined, more comfortable, more, more smooth movement paths. You can find more smooth, comfortable, refined movement paths, um, by developing this greater body awareness through moving your spine. Right. And you know, who doesn't want that? Who wouldn't want to have a comfortable, smooth way of moving, uh, later in life when they're el elderly. I know I would, I hope you would too. So, I think having a strong, flexible spine is just like the solid base. And, and by having that solid base from there, you can move the remainder of the body much more effectively and with much more grace for the rest of your life. Like I like to think of the spine as like this uh, chassis or base frame, right? This is a concept I've taken from um, Kelly Starrett, well-known physiotherapist, uh, world. Um, and he kind of, this is his idea is that the spine is like this chassis or base frame for your body, for your body's two primary engines, which are 
the uh, two primary engines of movement, which are the hips and shoulders. Um, right. I already kind of talked about the hips and shoulders and how those are the joints with the greatest range of motion. So by having the stability that you can, so not only is it important to move your spine and develop resiliency through movement, but it's also important to learn how to stabilize your spine in such a way that you can create movement through the other parts of the body, especially the hips and shoulders. Um, by focusing on full body movements through the hips and shoulders, then we can train the most amount of musculature with the fewest number of exercises and with the least number of redundancy, right? And that brings me to the final category of important moves, which is the movements, which is, which is the, what I call the primal or found foundational or functional movements. And how I define them is that these movements are related to early stage of development and they're necessary for navigating through life. So these movements serve to better prepare our body for activities that occur in everyday life. And the categories that I kind of establish are push, pull, and squat, like I already said, with the squat being further subdivided into the bilateral and unilateral forms. And, you know, if you think about these movements like push and pull, these are definitely check the box for, you know, early stage development. I have a young one and a half year old, nearly two year old boy who does nothing but push and pull things all day long <laughs> and, and squats as he looks to push things on the ground or pull them. <laughs> so these are definitely related to early stage in development. And they certainly help us navigate through life, better prepare us for everyday activities in life. Think about it like all, every day you're, you know, pushing and pulling certain objects, whether it be doors, whether it be anything. And you're, you know, moving heavy objects, possibly furniture, you know, you need to squat to do that. And I think early improvements in strength and mobility of the hips and shoulders, these joints with the greatest um, range of motion, through these prime movements can basically lay the foundation for, uh, you know, uh, developing a physical capacity that is, uh, you know, a capacity worth having as an elderly person, because later on, you, once you lay that foundation, you can acquire more advanced skills and, uh, you know, truly master your body. With that being said, I want to say thank you for listening or watching, and I hope you enjoyed hearing my thoughts on what a physical retirement plan could look like. I've thought about this topic a lot and even went ahead with making a training program that incorporates this concept. Last year in March 2020, when the pandemic started, I wrote an at-home bodyweight training program and breathing, spinal movements, and functional movements were the focus of phase one of that training program which I ended up calling Body Basics. Phase one is composed of four separate workouts with a structure as follows. The workouts start with a warm-up that includes a breathing exercise for upregulation, followed by spinal movements and dynamic stretching. Then the main part of the training day is to do a 16-minute interval with four different exercises that fall into the categories of push-pull and unilateral and bilateral squat. The workouts end with a cool-down involving passive stretching, and a second breathing exercise for relaxation. 
The Body Basics training program has three additional phases that further explore the basics of body movement through important topics such as joint articular rotations, end range strength, single leg balance, proprioception, feet, and fascia. If you're interested, you can get a free copy of the program with links to videos of me performing the movements and stretches. It's available to everyone at subscribepage.com bodybasics. You can go there and put your name and email and you'll be sent a link to a PDF copy of the training program with the video links. I also do weekly group sessions on Zoom where we do variations of the four workouts from phase one of Body Basics. If you sign up for a copy of the program, you'll also receive an invite to the Zoom class. So have you thought about your own physical retirement plan? What do you want your body to be capable of as an elderly person? What do you need to do today to make that a reality? Take some time and think about what really matters to you. You know, my proposal is just my proposal and you might have different priorities. When I asked my wife what physical capacity she'd like to keep as an elderly person, her answer was to be able to navigate challenging terrain like mountain trails. Everyone will have a unique answer like that based on their priorities. The important thing is to ask the question and think about what those priorities are so we can calibrate our behavior to be in line with them. That's all I have for you today, ladies and gents. Connect with me on social media, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Get my free bodyweight training program from subscribepage.com slash bodybasics. Jmart out.